Welcome to Friends with Opinions, episode 25. I'm joined by good friend Jadip Kanungo to talk about the restricted NHL free agent signings that have occurred. Uh, in our previous episodes, we discussed the signings that were to, to occur, and uh, we'll just recap that, and we cover the c- contract landscape in the NHL as well. So thanks for joining us. Okay, Jadip, so we were talking last time about the restricted free agents and uh, a couple of the, a few of the big name defensemen. I think all of them are signed now, except for Provorov is still out there. But three of them signed. And I want to get your take on the contracts. They're somewhat, two of them, the Zach Warinsky and the Charlie McAvoy deal are somewhat similar. And then there's the Thomas Shabbat deal. So, so it's kind of interesting how they've uh, each kind of compared. So the Shabbat deal is um, an AAV of about $8 million, I believe, for eight years. Um, that's going to be kicking in after his uh, entry-level contract is done. Um, and then you have the Warinsky and McAvoy for more of the short-term deals. Um, Warinsky's a $5 million cap hit, and McAvoy is a $4.9 million cap hit. So, um, yeah, like, I think... You know, I think all three of these defensemen, I think very highly of them. And I think they're legit studs. And all three of these teams are going to want to keep them around. Um, but I kind of like the McAvoy-Warinsky way to go with, with the bridge deal. Because you have these guys at $5 million, And I think that Warinsky and McAvoy are poised to take a step in these next at, at some point in the course of these deals. Um, and it's going to be a steal for them. And in the case of Boston... You know, they were just in the cup final, so they're a contender. Um, so to have a guy like McAvoy, who's probably their number one defenseman in terms of minutes, and uh, if he can get some more power play time in terms of offense as well, I believe, that's a steal for a contending team. And then by the time he's up, then the Bergerons and Marshawn and Chara, for example, might be uh, gone. So, I mean, I think Bergeron Marshawn probably still around, but there will be more money to play with. Uh, well, Rinsky, we'll see how Columbus is, can contend, but and then they still, I think, have them for their restricted free agent years. And then they can, at that time, sign a big eight-year deal and two up even more uh, unrestricted free agency time. Um, but then with Shabbat, but you look at it and that, that makes sense too because I'm a big believer in Shabbat. He's their number one defenseman in every way. He's probably their no- best player, their number one player. Um, and him making like $8 million AAV, like maybe even this year, but in a few years is going to look like a steal. And by the time McAvoy and Warinsky come up, they might be garnering a PK Subin like deal of ten million or so. Let's show Shabbat. So, which one? What, what? What do you kind of prefer in the approach to these contracts? That one that you like better? Yeah, I actually think you know I, I think all of the deals are actually quite sensible um, because you know as we've seen with uh, the Marner contract, which we'll talk about a bit later, it seems like it's a changing marketplace in the NHL where these guys coming off their first contract are now getting paid. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I think the worry is, is that like, how are these players going to actually be at the end of the, de- you know, they're like, you see Marner and Matthews, for instance, they're signing um, sort of the mid range deals that sort of walk them into UFA. Um, I think the one worry that I sort of have with uh, the short, shorter term bridge deals is that, um, and it's been discussed a lot over the last week. It's just sort of the last year of the deal. Um, they're they're massively inflated. So, for example, I think Zach Kerensky is making what seven eight million dollars in his last year, and just based on that, he's going to get um, a qualifying offer, which will be at least that. 
and that just sort of inflates his value going forward. Um, and then you bring up P.K. Subban's bridge deal. Um, it was granted in a different era, but he signed a two-year deal um, coming out of the last lockout, and he ended up winning the Norris Trophy in the first year. And that just meant that his next contract was so much more expensive. Um, but that said, I think I think I'd rather be paying these players like when they're under 30 years of age. That's most likely when they're going to be most productive. And I think getting these guys locked up in their most productive years is is a sage thing. Uh, in regards to the Shabbat deal, obviously it's a long-term deal. It's going to be an eight-year extension. Uh, I think that's a great deal for Ottawa. I mean, it's a lot of money right now for Thomas Shabbat, who really hasn't even played two full seasons yet, um, hasn't put up the numbers, but the expectation is that he will. Mm-hmm. It's a gamble. Um, it's a bit of a gamble, but I think it's probably a justified gamble, especially when you consider the fact that uh, Ottawa is always had a hard time attracting free agents in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I think like with uh, the way Shabbat sort of played over the last two to three years, um, junior hockey and then first couple of years of pro hockey, uh, it's a gamble probably worth making. And I think it's probably a safe gamble. Um, and I think given the way that Ottawa has sort of been bungling things, uh, letting many of their established players go, I think it's good for their fan base to actually have something to look forward to over the next eight years. Yeah, and I think um, it is a gamble, but I think those are the types of gambles that teams need to make that is going to give you that edge to become a championship for team. For sure. Where you have a guy like Shabbat that if he's your best player and if he's able to put up 60 points, a year type thing, although like he started really strong last year in the first half and then fizzled. So there is that gamble. But if he does end up panning out to that degree, then, you know, you're getting a discount on the years four or five and onwards of probably 2 million or so if he's going to garner 10 million. Um, but I, I like the, in my opinion, I like the Warinsky McAvoy way because it allows you to contend right now to having, by having players on your roster that are going to, basically exceed their cap hit in terms of their value on the ice. And then when they come up at the end of the four years, yeah, they might get like 9 million instead of 8 million, but it's not as significant. You know, you're going to have to pay them at that time. And this is sort of the place where you're scouting and your pro scouting, your amateur scouting and your contracts and your owner all come into play where if, you know, you scouted and you drafted a McAvoy with a first round pick, a Shabbat first round pick, like, you have to believe in these guys and know what they're what, what you have with them, you know. And I think one place where I went wrong was um, with Truba. They kind of played hardball with him in Winnipeg, and maybe for other reasons, lifestyle reasons, he didn't want to be in Winnipeg. But playing hardball with him, not giving those first line minutes, it seems like all three of these guys we're talking about, they get the first minute power play, and then all the ice time they can use. Truba, they didn't do that. They didn't give him the big deal. They didn't extend them. They did the even shorter bridge deals. And then now, look, they had to get rid of them and, uh, you know, their defense is out of whack. Yeah, for sure. I think the other thing is, um, you know, you sort of look at, uh, I think for these players, it makes sense, right? Like in three, four years, that's when the NHL uh, American TV deal is up uh, within the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be a new team in Seattle. Um, so the cap is going to go up and these players are probably just going to cash in more. So it certainly makes uh, more sense for them. Um so yeah, even for the teams, like with the cap going up, I think that's that's advantageous to sort of you know get these guys locked in now instead of creating animosity and sort of. This. So you think all all three deals are good? You're, if it was, your uh, team, you'd I think be they're happy with it. 
I think they're fair in different ways. I mean, I think I think you're absolutely right with the McAvoy deal. Like in a three four years when the McAvoy deal is up, Marsh or we know Bergeron, Chara, they're going to be off the books. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tuka Rask is probably going to you know not be commanding that much money as mm-hmm. well. Um, and then so, he's taking that responsibility as being the leader at that point once he's uh, you know had a few more seasons under his belt. And it, but it's interesting with the Shabbat. Um, it's interesting that they lock him up early because they're very cost controlled. Um, franchise and they need to manage all these things so they do get you know a potential you know superstar defenseman locked up at a reasonable number for sure but if i'm an ottawa senators fan i can only help but start thinking that we have shabbat for the next eight years and chances are before that probably in year six year seven the questions are going to start coming up of whether we should trade him. Yeah, I mean, that's always... It's almost a foregone conclusion that I think in year seven, he's going to get <laughs> traded. Would you agree? Uh, I mean, that's always a reality. Like, I think... Uh, for Ottawa. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's 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 what happens, I think, in with these long-term deals is that after a certain period of time, um, you know, player may sour on the market, fans may sour on the player. Um of course that happens. I think, you know, you look back to when P.K. Subban signed his eight-year deal uh, worth $9 million a year. Um, I think around the time he was saying that, oh, it's a contract that, you know, I may not be able to see out in Montreal because there comes a lot of pressure, uh, a lot of expectation. And, um, you know, if it doesn't work out, then it sort of becomes a bit of a, a liability. I think it's, pro- it's worth the risk for Ottawa. I mean, one of the GMs that gets lavished with praise almost on a yearly basis is David Poyle and David Poyle is lavish for the way that he's managed guys like, um, you know, Matthias Ekholm, uh, Roman Yossi. He's done a really great job at locking, locking those guys up. Ryan Ellis up until his last deal. So I think this sort of goes along that vein. And I think, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how um, Eric Brandstrom sort of performs over the next year uh, and whether that's going to, uh, whether they're going to have a similar approach with that. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think Eric Branstrom is one of my favorite players. It's going to be interesting how he does. But I think the Shabbat deal is a smart deal for the franchise. And it's interesting in analytics. And now more and more people say that we need to, that they should pay players when they're in their 20s um, and not to pay like overpriced veterans. So with Ottawa, I mean, I think everybody kind of mocks them that they obviously their owner is very cheap and is unwilling to spend. But then when you kind of look back and kind of hear, put two and two together of what people suggest that you should pay young players and when people get older you should trade them and not give them long-term deals so are they kind of wiser than we thought in that you know maybe stone and carlson and duchene if they lock them up to big money deals then they'd have to be playing hardball with shabbat right now and uh they wouldn't have shabbat locked up long term and so are they being cheap or are they just following uh the kind of analytics type situation or maybe they are having to follow the analytics because of the lack of resources. I mean, I agree. I think um, Ottawa does get panned for the way that they manage Carlson, the way they... I don't know if they get panned really for managing Stone the way they did. Like, so Stone, there was even up until the 12th hour of whether he was going to re-sign with Ottawa. Remember on the trade deadline that was happening? Um, but certainly, I think... Um, Ottawa is a bit of a joke last year. So no matter what they did, there was going to be a lot of negativity. But I think the way that they sort of rebounded, they acquired all those picks and those prospects. Uh, they've actually done a reasonable job. Um, so are they forward thinking? I think it's just a sign that, you know, as data uh, and the value of utility curves or of age curves, um, 
the sort of realization that players above 30 can't sort of keep up with the play anymore. Um, that sort of worked in Pierre Dorian's favor here. And I think a lot, like, that's sort of been the trend all around the NHL. You know, this year, like, fewer teams have been affording PTOs to some of the more veteran players. You look at a guy like Jason Spezza, there's no guarantees he's even going to be making the Maple Leafs this year. Um, I think the league's just skewed younger, and I think the general managers have finally started to catch on to that. Mm-hmm. So one other uh, d- deal that was signed that I, we didn't alluded to mention was the Jared Spurgeon deal. This is one that I do find think was a bit too rich for my blood. Um, it was a seven-year deal at a total of $53 million, AAV of $7.575 million. Um, and he had about 43 points last year, uh, chewed up 24 minutes. Edmonton, Alberta, just like us, uh, native, <laughs> 24 minutes of ice time. I think, uh, you know, looking to the future when Ryan Suter, uh, kind of his career runs his course, I could see Jared Spurgeon taking on more responsibility at that time. But, you know, he's 29 years old, yeah. Jared Spurgeon. So, I think the length of this deal, and this is the big, the first big deal that the new GM, Billy Guerin, is involved with. Um, I think this is too rich for my blood for the player that he is. I do think he is an underrated player. He is a very good player. Um, but yeah, maybe the term uh, is a little bit long. The AAB is reasonable-ish for the production. But like personally, just from like the next three years, okay, looking forward, whatever. But the next three years, I'd much rather have Zach Warinsky or Charlie McAvoy at five million, then Jared Spurgeon at seven point six. You know, it's, it's yeah. not even close. I mean, I agree. I think just the fact that Spurgeon is twenty nine makes this deal. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I would have given that deal. I, I think Jared Spurgeon, the way he's played uh, with Minnesota, has been uh, probably their second defenseman after Matt Dumba. Um, second best defenseman, and then also ahead of Ryan Suter. Oh yeah, Ryan Suter as well. Well, so that's that's a good example. Like Ryan Suter and Zach Parise, they were sort of, you can sort of see them now. Like they they're six seven years after signing their deals, mm-hmm. and you sort of they're kind of shells of the players that they were when they mm-hmm. signed those deals. Although Parise has had sort of bursts of good play, um, it's a bit of a rich deal. I think um, a lot of the people that follow analytics say it's a reasonable deal, partly because they think Jared. Jared Spurgeon's uh, sort of undervalued player mm-hmm. uh, for mm-hmm. what he contributes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just looking at his age, he's going to be 36 by the time this deal is done. Um, it does seem a little bit much. But that said, you know, even up until five years ago, there were 36-year-old defensemen in the league. And I think the way Jared Spurgeon plays, he's sort of a crafty, sort of speedier, kind of smaller guy, kind of like a Brian Rafalski type that maybe he will have uh, the ability to play at that age. He's more of a cerebral type player. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I think it's a bit of a risk. I personally would much prefer to take this risk on Thomas Shabbat than Jared Spurgeon uh, yeah. given their ages. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my feeling on that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think the other three guys have the pedigree and they have the track record and they have the youth on their side. I guess that, yeah, um, the other one that uh, we, we, failed to mention was uh ivan Porvorov. oh so he did sign oh, yeah I said so he, he, signed, didn't. Uh, he signed last week it was a six-year deal worth 6.75 okay um and i think also with his deal he's also got that uh let's see is he is he backloaded so he'll be a ufa when it's done yeah so it walks him right into the ufa i guess the difference with the Porvorov deal is he doesn't get the uh the massive uh last year last for year for the qualifying offer. offer just because it walks him into the ufa years yeah yeah i think but that's a reasonable deal and uh, people have been talking about him as a future number one defenseman ever since he broke into the league and the flyers have a nice stable of young defensemen um but yeah that six years is kind of interesting because you buy up just a couple of the 
UFA years there. Um, but, you know, all indications are he's going to be one of their uh, prime players going into the future. But, yeah, they have Samuel Moran, Travis Sanheim, Robert Haig. I really like Philip Philippe Myers if he makes it. Um, but, yeah, they got added Matt Niskanen this year as well. Yeah, so they're, overall, they're be, I think, uh... still is their number one guy. But Costa Spare is going to take the power play duties probably. But Well, if he's, <laughs> uh, if he's still around, I mean, there's a lot of uh, question marks about Costa Spare, whether he's uh, sort of fallen out with – with uh, the coaches there, um, he's a bit of a liability at times. Uh, there's sort of trade rumors towards the end of last year. Um, so yeah, so if Provorov then has to step up and take those uh, those minutes, then the power play minutes, then that's going to be even more of a steal. Yeah, um, but you know, I think the bottom line with all of these deals, it just goes to show that the NHL continues to progressively get younger. I think it is a good trend to see younger players get paid because, mm-hmm. you know, as fans, you don't want to see guys like Milan Lucic or Carl Alsner that are, well, you know, that are maybe beyond their prime and getting big money deals. Um, and I think GMs have sort of become more um, attuned to that. And I think that's a good thing kind of going forward. Um, it's going to be kind of interesting to see what the next trend in terms of handing out contracts will be and whether there'll be, you know, other differences. I think probably one thing that we can probably foresee is NHL players wanting more power and by doing, but so they may sign one or two year deals mm-hmm. and uh, that'll mm-hmm. sort of, you know, they can sort of maximize how much they get mm-hmm. uh, as proportion to their cap. They may say that, why am I being loyal to you when you're, you may not be loyal to me? Um, in other words, like the team may be able to trade them at any point. So mm-hmm. now the players will be like, no, screw you. I'm only going to sign a one or two year deal. And then, you know, kind of um, use whatever leverage I have. Through- yeah, that'll be interesting. Definitely, like, it's nice to see that these uh, elite young defensemen are signed up. I think the next wave will be when the uh, Rasmus Dalins and the Kale McCars and uh, Bowen Byram and, and uh, Quinn Hughes, these guys come up in a, in a few years and a new benchmark is made. But, yeah, I think um, some of those are some solid deals. So we'll, we'll wrap up the detox at this time. Jadeep, I wanted to switch uh, paths here and talk about the forward forwards that have signed. There still remain some really high-profile ones that are unsigned, and we thought that you know, as a couple of them start falling, the dominoes will fall. But it is kind of trickling in slowly. So the big one, of course, is the Toronto Maple Leafs signing Mitch Marner to a six-year contract extension. Um, with an average AAV of $10.893 million, all the way up there. So after all the talk um, and the hardball and, and whatnot, Marner signs. Um, it's kind of interesting. He got signed before training camp, and it sounds like Marner's the one who really initiated with Dubas to get him on board um, after you know the holdout that happened with Willie Nylander and then him having a a bad season last year with no training camp. So Marner gets to avoid that kind of at the last second, he does end up signing and joins the team in Newfoundland. Um, you know, Marner, I'm a big fan of his. He's a high, high skill player, great offensive player. In my opinion, he's the best player on the Toronto Maple Leafs. So it's very fair of him to demand this type of uh, AAV. But that said, like, it's not that easy to win with uh, players making AAV over 10 million, Never mind having three with Austin Matthews and John Tavares. Um, so, yeah, what was your thought on the deal? Did Dubas, you know, do a good job? I mean, now they have like $40 million tied up in four guys if you throw Willie Nylander in there as well. 
Yeah, I mean, it's uh, that's it's a tough situation for Cal Dubas to manage, and he's done it. He said uh, when he was asked Bailey or Freeman, are you going to get all four of these guys or all three of these guys signed? Yeah. Like he said, we can and we will. Yeah. And it, true to his word, he did manage to get all four of them or all three of them signed, Elander, Matthews, and Marner. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's a rich deal. I think Mitch Marner probably – merits that much money playing in toronto for sure like he's uh, put up production over the last few years mm-hmm. uh leaf fans have been telling me over the last uh, few months that it's been john Tavares that has been driving the bus in terms of what he production. was putting up number before I, Tavares I, I, showed I up i i'm in agreement with that Give me but, a break. Uh, but i think they've been trying to trying to convince people that marner doesn't deserve uh, nearly as much as matthews um, but yeah, I think it certainly puts the pressure on the Leafs to get something done this year. You know, as we know, I think uh, next like in terms of winning. Yeah, so they need to win. I think the cup this year um, to sort of make this all. Wow! Uh, so the clock starts now. These guys are just getting out of their entry well, level deals. Yeah, the challenge is you've got Matthews at eleven point six, Tavares at eleven, Marner now at almost eleven. Uh, Nylander at seven um, and then what's going to happen at the end of this year is uh, Jake Muzzin and Tyson Berry who they gave up a lot of assets to try and acquire mm-hmm. they've now they're going to be UFAs at the end of the year mm-hmm. um, they're lucky that they've got Morgan Riley at a good rate and Morgan Riley's uh, sort of big minute uh, point producing defenseman so and I like well. that they got earlier in the year they took care of business and got Andreas Janssen and Kapanen signed for 3.4 yeah. and 3.2 so um for top sixers kind of on the cheaper end and they're you know four years and three years so i think uh those guys are going to be huge for them um they're going to have to be those top sixers otherwise like they're going to be screwed in that regard for sure so i think going forward if the cap doesn't go up as expected um i think the least could be in a lot of trouble but that said i think you are paying top price for what will be probably the best players in the nhl right probably for the next five years you would say matthews marner nylander taveras probably Some safe of, yeah top, yeah top 50 they've players. got three of the top seven aavs in the nhl right now um for the yeah. season which is a pretty incredible stat but i think um to be honest like i one of the arguments that leaf fans have been making is like you know knowing that you're spending this much money knowing it's on the the four players that they're spending it on. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, especially when you have Morgan Riley at a very affordable $5 million deal. Probably similar, he signed a deal similar to what Thomas Shabbat signed uh, um, just just earlier this week. So I think, um, yeah, certainly the pressure is on the Leafs to win this year. I think if they don't win this year, they're going to have to uh, find some ways to try and manage this cap. They've already had to give up draft picks. Like, for instance, Patrick Marlowe, they had to sort of uh, convinced Carolina Hurricanes to take his salary, mm-hmm. and they, they gave up a first overall, first uh, round pick, right for that. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I think um, to for you know it's it's expensive, but I I do wonder like Dubas probably didn't have much of a choice. Um, you know, everyone's been saying, well, I should have negotiated with Nylander earlier, sort of uh, trying to cut down his cap hit. He could have done Marner before Matthews to try and cut down his cap hit, but. You know, we don't know what goes on behind closed doors. And I think just given the scenarios, uh, it was it was a difficult situation for Dubas to manage. He did manage to get these guys in, and it's going to come at a potential risk. Uh, yeah, I think like there's different questions whether, like, kind of in a vacuum, this player is worth the money that they're being given. Um, I think that's one question. And I think most people can agree that 
yeah, some of the, the in terms of the point production that these guys pr- give you, you know, you could argue that maybe they're they're fair, but I think the bigger question for the Leafs is whether you can win this way. So nobody really disagrees that these players aren't good, great players and they're not worth big money deals, but just having all that money tied up up front in your top six, you don't have much left for your defense, right? So as you look, we're looking at the cap geek right now, as you say, like CC, we'll see how good he is, but uh, Muzzin and Barry are all UFAs. So, and basically after this year, all they have is Morgan Riley. So they could have like, just like a absolutely porous defense for sure. If they can't lock in some of these guys for something close to what they got, and I don't know if, uh, like, Tyson Berry's making 2.75 right now. Um, I'm not sure if there's a there's a cap hold on that, but he's going to demand, what, like at least 6, 7 million yeah, if he's putting up 50 points? It's going to be hard to bring those guys back, especially, like, when you have this type of contract structure. Like, Tyson Berry's going to be like, no, screw you. Like, why are you going to pay me 6 million? Mitch Marner's making 10 million, Terry 11 million. Yeah. You know? So it sort of, like, raises the tide for all the other players on the team, which makes it a bit difficult. Um, so that's the other thing with the Leafs. I think over the last couple of years, they've, they've frittered away several draft picks to try and make deals. So mm-hmm. they, they traded picks for Muzzin. They traded picks to get rid of Marlowe. They're going to mm-hmm. have to probably trade picks going forward to, to have teams take their bad contracts. Um, and, you know, you sort of wonder what's coming down the pipe. I think they're hoping that guys like, Timothy Lilligren and Rasmus Sandin will make that step. There's mm. some suggestion that Babcock likes Sandin, that he may actually make the team this year. Mm-hmm. They're hoping a guy like Travis Dermott can sort of step up and become a, a bigger defenseman. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does become challenging. I think one thing that could benefit the Leafs is if they do truly build a juggernaut, whether you'll have the 30-year-old players that are not going to get massive deals, that mm. are probably you know still capable of putting up numbers, um, but they won't be getting big deals from any team just because of their age, whether they'll want to take cheaper deals to play with the Leafs. Mm-hmm. And that's because, you know, they're going to be a competitive team. They'll have a chance to potentially win a Stanley Cup with potentially their home team, right, mm-hmm. in Ontario. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wonder like what Spets is be. doing right now. Yeah, I mean, Spets is a little bit older, right? Mm-hmm. And you wonder how much game he actually has left. But you sort of wonder, like, as the game skews older, whether over the next two to three years there'll be sort of 30, 31-year-old, 32-year-old players that'll be like, hey, you know what, like, I'm not, I'm going to get a – I'm not getting many contract offers. I'll sign a one-year deal with the Leafs for a million bucks and then try and win the cup with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's one of the things that the Leafs may have, um, you know, Dubas may have the advantage of trying to do. But it is going to put pressure on them for this year to get things done. And you do wonder if, um, you know, it's going to be interesting at the trade deadline to see where they are and how much cap room they have. But you sort of wonder if, like, for instance, the New Jersey Devils are out of a playoff picture, whether the... Leafs would consider a move for like Taylor Hall. Just mm-hmm. move out all their assets and just try and see whether you can bring Taylor Hall in mm-hmm. just for uh, just for a few weeks to try and win the cup. But I don't know though because like yeah, like you have these three guys and you know Nylander for the next five years at least. I'm, I'm personally, I think it's a little bit short sighted to trade prospects and draft picks for um, for just this year and go for it unless you're planning on trading one of these guys um, to free loosen the books and to get some assets and young pieces back. But I think if you uh, go for it now, then in year three, like they really need to get those entry-level contracts and those prospects in the pipeline. Yeah, and I, I think agree. that's the true test for Dubis at this point because they've had that giving that impression that they're developing young players and they have an analytic approach and they won the Calder Cup 
couple of years ago, but you know, which players have actually kind of come out of nowhere, like Austin Matthews, Marner, these are their top picks, right? I think Andreas Janssen one's guy is one guy that, you know, wasn't maybe the high most highly touted prospect. Um, and he's kind of stepped up. I mean, Connor Travis years ago. Yeah, Connor Brown. He's on Ottawa now. He's yeah. going to get big minutes. And so they have shown ability to kind of find some of these guys, but they need to keep doing that. And as you say, they need to do it on the back end. Like, from my, if I was the Leafs, I would probably be taking a defenseman in the first round or second round, the first and second round for the next two, three years. Because like their forwards the, are, their yeah. forwards are covered because they have the top six with those guys and Janssen and Kapanen. They have Kerfoot as their third line center. You can fill in the gaps, you know, with the rest of the third line, the fourth line. You're good. Like if I was them, they I would just pour all my prospect investment in the defense. But that said, like that's maybe not the best place to be putting prospects either and counting on them. But I think how good Sandine and Lilligren become is going to be a big factor that's going to define Dubis's uh, tenure. Obviously, the contracts are a big part, but. Um, that's going to determine whether they're going to be successful in the playoffs or, or not. Yeah, it's, I think it's going to be fascinating, and I think it's uh, they're a great example of the shift shifted market, right? We say that market is now skewing younger. Well, the Leafs have got a lot of young talent, and now you know they're locked up. But there's a bit of a dichotomy there, though, because they went and gave a big money deal to Tavares. Yeah, but so that, that was... in that case, it's a UFA, so you're acquiring the asset for free. So maybe you have to look at it from a different lens somehow. Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of other teams, like young teams, are going to be up against the same issue. And I think the success or failure of the Toronto Maple Leafs is going to affect how those teams manage it. I think about the Montreal Canadiens, for example. We don't have the, I say we, but Canadians don't have the that sort of top-end talent of like an Austin Matthews or a Mitch Marner. And the hope is Kakanyemi becomes of that caliber. But in 2021, they're going to have all these guys, Paley and Suzuki, Kakanyemi, all coming up. And it's going to be a challenge for Bergevin to just, if he's still there, to try and lock those guys up. Like, what's the number going to be? Mm-hmm. So already the Canadians from this offseason have been thinking to 2021 and sort of the cap challenges going forward. I'm trying to think of some other young teams that have this issue as well and whether they're going to be forced to make decisions on guys way earlier than what they would have liked to. That's why I like the idea of the bridge deals. And uh, I think that's a a good segue to uh, the the deal that just went down today on uh, Monday, September 23rd. Braden Point signed a three-year deal with the Tampa Bay Lightning for $6.75 million which is just absolute highway robbery, um, just a complete steal. And I think <laughs> um, Tampa obviously has the benefit of the no state tax, but also like just having a winning program and giving guys a chance to win. And a guy like Braden Point, like he wasn't a first rounder, but they like believed in him and he's, you know, achieved great heights and over 90 points last year. And he's a center iceman and he has a two-way game and, he kills penalties and he kind of does it all. Um, so that's kind of an interesting approach. And I think if you're in active contention mode, like a team like Tampa, I like that bridge deal aspect, kind of similar to what we're talking about, McAvoy and Warinsky, because you're getting this guy on a huge discount right now. And then after three years, you know, Sam Coast might be moved on. Some of their older deals, you know, they've already moved on from some of the Ryan Callahan's and Dan Girardi just retired and guys like these. Um, but yeah, like, I think I like the bridge deal aspect and then it just gives the team a bit more assurance that, okay, this guy is a true bonafide superstar. He can handle the minutes we throw at him. They can, he can handle the matchups against all these guys. I mean, Austin Matthews, has he really played 
the best matchups all the time. I mean, he's had Kadri, who's not there anymore, and he's had Tavares. Um, so, yeah, like, I think, you know, you have to be, uh, you know, totally out of touch if you think that this Braden Point deal is somehow bad because I think he's still restricted free agent at the end of it. Yeah. And, I'm in, in, in fact, like, the league should investigate this. Like, 6.75 million? You're getting Braden Point. Like, I would, again, I'd much rather have Braden Point than Mitch Marner at the, the deals that they have. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, <laughs> as, I think it's frustrating as a fan of a team in the Atlantic Division to sort of see the Tampa Bay Lightning sort of get ahead because of, you know, their market, because of uh, tax ramifications, whether they're real or But they not. have a winning program. They deserve for credit sure. for that, right? Yeah, so for sure. They've drafted that's well. Part they've of got it. good coaching uh, with John Cooper. Um, they've seemed to find diamonds in the rough as well. So guys like Tyler Johnson... Um, Anthony you know, Sorelli and Matthew yeah, Joseph, yeah, I think, are going to be very good. So back when. And they traded JT um, Miller to the Canucks. That freed up some space. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, there's no doubt that they've managed your cap uh, really well. Um, and I agree with you. I think, like, right now, Tampa Bay, their window is, like, right now. Tomorrow, yeah. Right? And they're, they had one of the best regular seasons of all time. And they have a team that's poised to win. I think in the next three years, they are going to uh, at least – from their fans' perspective, at least win at least one cup. And you sort of wonder if they do that, this whole deal is worth it. I mean, what makes it... And his it, point looking at it from that angle, too. He might be, yeah. And I think certainly for him, like, he's sort of bet on himself. But also, he also has that... Nine, even though his cap hits only 6.75, uh, the last year of his deal... And he doesn't have the high last year... No, he does. He does, actually. Oh, he does? He's going to be at $9 million. Oh, so with a qualifying oh, offer, he's going to be up to a $10 million player. Oh, him. I heard that wrong, then. So... So, yeah, so with this uh, as part of his deal, um, he's going to be making absolute bank. And then if he has a couple of long playoff performances uh, during that tenure as well, he's, he's going to definitely cash in on the next, uh, on the next contract. But, but you could argue that he deserves as much as Mitch Marner. Yeah. Um, you know, and he, or Austin Matthews for that matter. Like, that's, what I, that's why I think Austin Matthews is so incredibly overrated because – you look at a guy like Braden Point, he's put up more points than him. He has a two-way game. Obviously, Tampa has a lot of great players, but he's been part of a winning team. Yeah. Um, like, I, what is it? I, I realize the pedigree and whatnot, but how does Braden Point get 6.75? Well, I think, I think like part he's, of it... Like, he could be getting $9 million right now. So, if they have to qualify him at $9 million in four years, that could still potentially be a steal of a deal at that but point. But I, I think the way that these, these players have been viewed now is if you make sort of 9 million and the uh, you know 9 million and then you're up as an RFA you're going to get qualifying offer at least 10 million and then the feeling is like you're going to be a 10 million dollar player um, by the end of the deal anyways right but you look at Marner he's he, he's getting paid as an 11 million dollar player already is, right yeah, now but so. I think they at least were able to buy one of his UFA years as well so you yeah. argue that that's sort of uh, the way the deal works out you know I have to say though as a hockey fan like I find uh, like I just hate how the NHL has become all about accounting, right? Like, yeah, yeah. About taxes, about accounting. Like, what's how much is he making on the last year of the deal? Yeah. Um, it's not really why I signed up to watch <laughs> hockey, but it's sort of become yeah. that way, right? Sure. And and you know, again, as a yeah, as a Montreal Canadiens fan, it, it really does sort of uh, disappoint me that teams in the Sun Belt continue to get breaks uh, for whatever reason on their contracts. You know, they do have a winning culture. I don't disagree with that. But it just uh, really ruffles my feathers that teams that 
where hockey really does not matter, uh, sort of get ahead because of the fact that it doesn't really matter there. The weather's good. There's less tax. And uh, yeah, it sort of grinds my gears that the Canadians charge or Canadians or Leafs, they charge some of the highest ticket prices in the league. And yet it's the team's in the Sunbelt markets that are getting all the good players. I agree because the whole point of the salary cap we're told is to increase parity in the league, but it's a very obvious disadvantage that, uh, you know, teams that have state tax or provincial or higher federal tax. And yeah, it's kind of hard to to argue with that. And I I wonder like, are we, do we care too much about, we just did a whole podcast on the contracts, (laughs) but uh, do we care too much about this stuff? Because, um like you hear about contracts being voided like all the time like sorry you had a point as well but i was gonna uh, i had a point to follow up on well no i was gonna say that you know canadian it's it's just so funny to me that people in canada are so fervent for the game yet canadian teams get screwed and i think one of the things we'll talk about later is winnipeg jets that's what i wanted to talk about yeah so it's sort of like okay ottawa got screwed now Winnipeg is getting screwed, and I think part of it has to do with the market that they plan. Yeah, although like I guess on you know, on the flip side, my point was going to be like just talking about the Dustin Bufflin situation. Um, you know, he's on a leave. You know, they might be considering retiring. Um, but it's interesting because I was just reading yesterday that because he failed to report to camp, the Winnipeg Jets have suspended him, and now somehow takes his contract hit off the books. Yeah. So like. We sweat about the cap all the time and, like, worry about, oh, what are we going to do in year six of this guy's deal? Meanwhile, like, people are develop uh, abnormal ailments out of the blue. And then this is just, like, people like people get their contract voided. We were talking about last year because they showed up out of shape. This one that the guy just flat out doesn't show up. You could yeah. take him off the cap. Like, how does that work? If you have some sort of an agreement with the guy – um i realize this guy's retiring but it's just yeah like maybe we are sweating it too much um but yeah talking about the jets so they still have liney and connor that they're unsigned there's no real reports that there's any progress it's looking like liney you know he's still in finland right now and it seems like the way he's talking like it might be a long uh, long haul for him he's been sort of complaining about his usage and not being able to play on the top line with mark shifley and, and getting a top center um and yeah so it'll be interesting there but it's funny kind of just looking back a couple of years like some you know magazines were predicting that they'd be the winning the stanley cup last year and everybody said how their defense is the you know envy of the league and the forward core and then next thing you know nick Ehlers had a down year what's going on with him line a and connor are still unsigned uh truba they had to trade because he wanted to move on Bufflin might be retiring. So their defense is all of a sudden looking very thin. Yeah, Tyler their Myers forwards. Like, Tyler Myers, yeah, that was a, a guy who was eating up a lot of minutes. So they went from having three right-shot defensemen that ate up a ton of minutes that could play a power play type role to potentially having nothing. So maybe, yeah, like when you're talking about the Leafs, maybe the window is so narrow and the way – Maybe the Jets already missed their window, which is crazy to think. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. I think like the fact that they've lost all those defensemen uh, on top of Bufflin leaving, um, and they haven't really replaced them. That, that's, yeah. uh, that's they don't have much like, in the pipeline. Like Josh Morrissey, you know, could take on more. Sammy Niku is a guy in the in the AHL who Neil Pionk, been, They got fair for true. Yeah, like fill in. 
I, I mean, I actually think he's a bit underrated, but yeah, like I don't think defensively he's yeah, going to do much, but he might be a, a stopgap for the power play uh, and he can, you know, kind of move the puck. But yeah, Tucker Pullman, I think, is a, has a, some potential, but you can't bring in three guys with, I you think know, the questionable whole, defensive abilities. Yeah, I mean, I think the whole a line a, uh, situation sort of puts a dark cloud over him. But he's a tough one because he's a very tough he one, was yeah. in the Austin Matthews conversation for, you know, first year of his of his uh, career. Even the first but, the couple months last year. Yeah, the first couple months, like, well, his first month he had a terrible year, and then he scored something like 20 goals in uh, yeah. November or December, and he just went crazy. Game, yeah. And then the the rest of the year, he was, he's just so inconsistent, and he doesn't really get the assists. He's not very good defensively. But at the end of the day, like, He's arguably like the best one-shot scorer in the league outside of like Ovechkin, and, and going into the future, he has that type of potential. So I think for my like, it seems like a bridge deal is the smartest deal for everybody. So how involved. much, given that we what we've seen with Point Marner, how much would you give Line a then in a bridge? Deal? I think Line, a, I mean, considering the, I think it should be even shorter for Line a, though. I think like. Based on his production, like a six point five for one or two years. Yeah, I think that makes sense there. because. If he ends up scoring back-to-back 50 goals or something, then he's going to garner the 10 million type thing. But if he locks himself into, say, 7 million, eight-year deal or something like that, then the Jets could stand to get absolute steal of the deal. But if he's demanding, like, Mitch Marner type money, then I could see that that's actually would be a huge risk, in my opinion, just because he is kind of an inconsistent guy. Yeah. He's, like, addicted to video games or something. Yeah. And, like, and, uh, and, like, doesn't back check. Um, yeah, defensive liability. Yeah, sure. and, and but at the same time, yeah, like he hasn't had that center. He's had to play with Brian Little. You know, it's kind of weird to me that they traded a first-round pick for Stastny one year and then for Kevin Hayes one year. But they don't keep those guys, which they kind of need to. And then the other thing is, is if you're going to do that, why not do it like the offseason? So at least Line a has like a whole year to play with these guys or something. Because, yeah, I think he does have a reasonable gripe. Like, you know, he, although, you know, he, he should be on the top line, right? But yeah, I, I mean, think, I, I just think like his uh, scoring slump last year really soured people on him. Um, it's hard to he's, read he's, what he's going to be. Yeah, so I, you know, I think I, I do wonder why there's such a holdup on this deal because I think everybody sort of concedes that there is uh, a bridge deal. That you know, just take a bridge, just prove yourself. Not even three years. I think two years. Yeah, and then Line could just. You know, I think Line could even say, like, I, I'm not happy playing in Winnipeg. You could just, by the end of it, just sort of leave. And you'll have leverage if he plays good. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, so it just seems like a bit of a weird situation uh, to me. I think there is disagreement between Maurice and Line. And so Line may have some hesitation in trying to come back. But he has to also realize, like, you know, there's been some rumors whether the Canadians, for instance, would be interested in Patrick Line. But even for teams around the league, it becomes a bit uncertain. Like, how much are we going to give up? Like, are we going to give up multiple first-round picks yeah. for Patrick Line? They're going to have the exact same conversation. And I think teams are a bit hesitant to make that gamble with Patrick Line, um, given sort of what he went through last year. I agree. I mean, like, from like in his first year playing, like, I thought, okay, this guy's destined to be... 50 goals every year, like putting up 80, 90 points um, in terms of his potential and his skill level, kind of talking about, like it was basically like Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews, Patrick Laine. That was the discussion going on, right? So I think he's definitely underperformed like what his potential could be. Um, so I think a bridge deal makes all kinds of sense. Yeah, I think there's still uh, some risk-free free agents out there. Uh, Jesse Pugliarvi is putting up assists in the Finnish league. 
Nobody cares about him, unfortunately. But, but you wonder whether uh, Line Matthew a, you, could check. I, you almost wonder whether the pre RV uh, situation sort of impacts Line a as well, right? Because people are like, well, what's up with these Finnish teenagers that they're so moody? They're, you know, uh, in Finland, whether there's a sort of personality thing that comes from some of the yeah. Finnish players. Maybe that generation potentially. Yeah, I think Finnish players historically have always been sort of like good team guys. They work really hard. They used to say they play like a Canadian style of hockey, which is like yeah. really aggressive for checking. Mm-hmm. Um, but whether these guys are, you know, they're prima donnas, right? Mm-hmm. And it's maybe if uh, maybe it's not. I don't know to, about that. Maybe I think it's not like, fair to paint entire. Yeah, country, like these. Like, but, Line is a very unique personality, right? So I don't think we can. We can paint them with the same brush, you know. Like I don't know if your boy <laughs> Kotkaniemi is gonna no, give you the Kotkaniemi's, same headcase, uh, but uh, no, I wouldn't say that it would, it's a generality. But yeah, it is interesting with Kyle Connor because I would imagine he's a guy that probably would have signed by now. But probably the Line A thing is really holding it up. Um, yeah. And then it's another one of those teams where Shifley, um, you know, isn't making too big of a deal. So then it's always comparing there. Um, Ren is another guy. I don't know if you you think he's a prima donna. He's Finnish as well. <laughs> but um, but Ren is still unsigned. Matthew Kachuk. There's no talk about Matthew Kachuk. Yeah, that's like where's the? Well. He's one of their like most important players. Like second or third or maybe fourth because Giordano whatnot. Uh, most important player. Um, he's still unsigned. Um, but yeah, see, still some time here. Um, so it's I was reading, pretty clear. It's like a three or a six or an eight, and there's nothing yeah. really much in between. I was reading a little bit how. Um, if the if these guys drag on into the season, it puts more pressure on some of these teams. So Calgary, they don't have as much cap space. Uh, Colorado, they've got some cap space. But what happens is once these guys drag into the season, there's a bit of a cap penalty that the teams will have to pay. Mm-hmm. And that's going to put teams that are sort of up against the cap more difficult. So I suspect Kachuk, I suspect uh, Rantanen will probably get done before mm-hmm. the start of the season. Yeah, this point one might be uh, yeah, you the, the one that needs precedent. to move because we thought Marner was the one. But I think Marner was probably so high, all the other teams were scared off by that. But yeah. maybe the point, uh, maybe they can be like, okay, no, point is the, the benchmark. Um, and I'm sure they'd want to go with that, right? Um, yeah, for sure. I bet you Kachuk's going to get a big deal uh, because he plays an American kid that plays in a Canadian market. He's not going to... Uh, he's going to apply that pressure and mm-hmm. Flames will have to give it to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Rantanen's going to get a reasonable deal. Like seven, like for Colorado, probably like seven and a half million, eight mm-hmm. million maybe. Cause, cause for how long thing. though? Uh, maybe when the McKinnon deal's up or maybe a year yeah. after or something because then they can re-up McKinnon for a big money. But that makes then... it, that puts a lot of pressure on the GM, right? Like, like two pillars of the franchise could just walk, right? Back to back I years, saw yeah. that with Columbus this year, mm-hmm. how, uh, what kind of situation that can put managers in, and they may want to avoid that. But, you know, one thing I'm looking forward to is season starting so that we can, you know, stop talking about <laughs> Yeah, all our podcasts and been about contracts. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, it's a, unfortunately a big part of the league and, and impacts, like, the product we see on the ice and the teams that we're watching, the teams that are playing against our teams. So, um yeah definitely interesting the different approaches um and and how things will go but yeah i agree i hope um all the remaining free agents sign and we can just get back to watching the product on the ice